And now, for some intro music. Hello and welcome to the uh, UK Games Expo 2019 Bits and Pieces special podcast. That title is way too long. Ooh, let's podcast. Uh, I am Nevada Drew and I am joined by George. Say hello. Hello. And by Gav. Say hello. Good morning. Good morning indeed. I have a cold. I feel very sorry for myself. How are you two doing? Uh, better than you, it sounds. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Good. In an eternal competition of how are you doing at the start of a podcast? I'm ahead. I'm glad I'm the baseline. I feel like that's that's good. So board games. Anyway. What are board they like? Games. Where do they congregate? Where do they come from? We were at the UK Games Expo. That was two weeks ago now, so a little bit late. We but were me and George were Gav was unfortunately not. Wasn't there. Next year. He's agreed to it, so and I've got it in writing. So, in writing, so. I've not signed. Technically, it, that's a legal binding contract. So. I, damn. All right. Well, I'll try and uphold it. I mean, maybe by this time next year, I can find out what a board game is. I might go down to the library. Yeah, I might just send you all the ones get. I don't want to have in my house anymore. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we were there for just over three days of board game immersion. We were, we were. Touching we had that sort of, we had a really them. nice sort of graph of sort of tiredness as we went along as well. Like day one, like press preview, we were full of energy. And then day two, we were still quite full of energy throughout day two. And then sort of, as you got into day three and four of like the sun, end of Saturday and especially Sunday, we more and more were like, do you want to just like sit in the press area and not speak for like an hour? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> But yeah, no, it was really good. That that didn't sell it, but it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, like it. I guess as a show, it's. I think it's. I think it's the third largest attended board game convention, uh, <coughs> and basically, it is. I would say like quite, shows off quite a lot of the board game world in that you have shops selling board games. You've got demos. You've got there's like tournaments. There's things selling tertiary things like there's loads of dice and coins and. People like the Belgian manufacturers there who kind of just show off things that they make for a board game, like like components and stuff. And yeah, it's kind of like the whole spectrum of the industry. I kind of think. Uh, like I wouldn't. I, there, it doesn't get a huge amount of like major new releases. Well, actually, that's true. It gets some, but like I think a lot of the major major releases tend to come at Essen and. And Gen, Gen Con. Con, yeah. A lot of things were like, is that, let me show you here, like, no, we're releasing it at Gen Con. Like, so, ah, yeah, so you, off, you end up with, like, sort of games being announced, and you end up with a lot of smaller, or as in, that's the sort of major, major publishers. But you end up with a lot of slightly smaller publishers, or people who are, like, sending stuff to Kickstarter soon, show, like, demoing. Yeah. Uh, alongside, like, all the most major publishers have stands there, and will just be showing off their latest games. Uh, and yeah, it's just sort of, Walking around, saying hello to people, sitting down, trying out their games, just kind of soaking yeah. up the cardboard atmosphere. Yeah, <laughs> cardboard atmosphere, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. It was a lot of walking around as well. So yeah, yeah, a lot of carrying stuff. Like I think my arms <laughs> were several inches longer by the. Yeah, what was it? Was it? Weekend. Was it this? Was it the Friday when we picked up museums and George carried that round 
from about sort of nine o'clock to it was like, about it was like, it was like, ten o'clock. Yeah, so like, for, like <laughs> we, we so yeah, so like we arrived on the first day and there was like a press preview where you don't so much get to get demo games, but a lot of the publishers have like stands up, and so they're sort of you know you could have a look at the game, find out a little bit about yeah. it, and there were a couple of games there that weren't actually being demoed but were getting releases later in the year. Yeah. Um, I think that's like there's one that I wanted to mention because we didn't actually get to like see it at the convention, but we got to see it at the preview, which was Undaunted. Just the World War II? It was, yes. Yeah, which I think it was Undaunted colon subtitle something Normandy or <laughs> something World War Two. Yeah, yeah, but it looked really interesting. It was a sort of squad tactics game where you're commanding a squad of Americans versus a squad of Germans in the sort of Normandy countryside. Uh. Uh, but rather than you know you're just sort of maneuvering rolling dice it's driven by a deck builder so you have i'm not quite sure how the cards correspond but you sort of have a card you have a hand of cards that you're adding to and losing cards from that correspond to the different (coughs) units on the map i think and so the more you have cards you have you're easier able to control units but uh, I think as as units take damage, they lose. You'll lose cards of that unit from your deck, so it becomes harder to control them because you know, they're they're panicked. Perhaps similarities to Memoir Forty Four, which is another sort of small scale, inf- like World War Two sort of tactics strategy game. Uh, yeah, that kind yeah, of except there's no miniatures board thing in Undaunted, is there? No, so undaunted. It's, it's sort of flat, table. yeah, flat, flat cardboard. Yeah, uh, kind of markers to show you individual squads. Uh, and then I guess like, the thing about Memoir Forty Four is you're you're giving orders to sections of the map. So the map is divided up into the center and the left and right. And you're drawing a hand of cards, <coughs> and the hand and the card might say, "Get advance two squads on the right flank." Uh, yes. And it, you get into these weird scenarios where you literally can't give orders to the left flank because you just don't have yeah. any to give. And it's and so it's I get it's sort of representative of the sort of the chaos of war and the kind of art orders being garbled and yeah miscommunication yeah. and yeah unexpected things and so I imagine there'll be a sort of similar feel to Undaunted yeah and so as with all deck builders you're never quite sure what you're going to get so this turn you might be able to do something useful this turn you might be able to get something you might end up doing something less useful I suppose it's about, it's about adapting to those. Yeah, it'll be, yeah, because I like the. Cause I mean, like traditionally in a sort of strategy tactics game, you're kind of you you have a plan in your head roughly, and you're adapting, you're trying to execute that plan while adapting to where it is your opponent's trying to do. But I guess a lot of the time with deck builders, you have a rough idea of how you want to be thinning out your deck and bringing in new cards to create a little engine. But every yeah. time you draw a new hand, it's very much well. How do I solve the problem of what I've been dealt? Yeah, each hand has its own little puzzle, isn't it? It's like optimizing how you want to use it and maybe about what it is you want to achieve from this hand of cards. So, yeah. So, it, yeah, it'll be like. So, how then that relates to a tactics thing where usually it's like, okay, well, I'll make a push on the right and then, you know, <coughs> hold this bit of ground, try and bring in some support, like this long range unit to provide supporting fire. Whereas you're kind of at the mercy of your deck, I guess, in this case. And so it's like, well, here are the things I can do, what's useful, rather than that kind of overall strategy. Yeah. 
and it should be said that this game is like George's kryptonite. Whenever he sees any sort of mildly historical game, he kind of just flocks to it like a moth to a flame. Yeah, like, basically, like is that a, a, is that a, based in history? <laughs> yeah, Ooh, a historic game with nice art. I money. just I just <laughs> I, I just walk over to it, uh, and more often than not, it means that we end up listening to very complicated war games instructions. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, we regret this. This was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, like I think it was like at the preview we asked. Uh, Afterwards, sort of got the details of Undaunted. We were on. I was like, "Ooh, is this is this a game like simulating the Battle of Britain? Please tell me about it." And then we get like a ten like minute explanation. Twenty minutes later, it's like, and this is how the the planes refuel. And I'm like, "Oh god!" <laughs> <laughs> so they go, "All right, why why did I ask?" <laughs> For a thoroughly lovely man who clearly cared about his game, but it was just like, "This is." I was hoping for an elevator pitch. This has gone on for like a novel. <laughs> yeah, hoping have... for an elevator pitch, and you ended up with a PhD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like okay, yeah. I get, I get. This game is very in depth. Uh, yeah. Oh god. Uh, well, like yeah. I sort so I'll just sort of end up going over and looking at any game that is has nice historical art. And Nevi is just yeah. a sucker for collectible card games. It's true. It's true. I have confessed as much on the website and been like, I've got to stop because I have. Yeah. Rock around my house, probably close to twenty collectible card games in some form. Like it's it's unhealthy. It is. It's also it's taking up a lot of space. Last year, I wasn't able to make the press preview because I arrived too late on the Thursday evening. But yes, met up with Nevi, and I was like, "So what did you get?" And he just emptied his bag of like five different booster sort of starter packs for different collectible <laughs> card games. Yeah, like, I had. What did I have? I had the Final Fantasy card game. I had Lightseekers, which is by the same guys who did the Warhammer game. I had the Munchkin one as well, and I feel like there was another one, but I... Oh, Star Wars Destiny. That was the other one. I just had a load of them, and I probably played all of them maybe once or twice, and then they just sort of live in a box under the bed now. Yeah, so then, uh, so yeah, then this year we, we were walking through, and then we sees the Warhammer Champions, another sort of collectible card game Yeah, I think makes I have... use of an app and just beelines over to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always kind of intrigued by how they work, and then that's about it. Like the Warhammer Champions, like the the lanes and like the champion goals are kind of interesting. But so, um, I've, it makes use of an app. Yeah. Like uh, I think well, there are... use of an app. It, it, it has an app version of it. Oh, and okay. You can supposedly scan the cards into the app. A bit I like thought, I if thought there was some kind of weird some hybrid Yu Gi Oh cards. You'd have a code in the bottom so that you could put them into your into your, like, PlayStation 2 game, or PlayStation 1 game of the Yu-Gi-Oh! game. Mm-hmm. So if you had cool cards, you could put them in. I think it works like that. I haven't tested it, but... Um, the app works fine. I had a quick go on the app the other week. It was a relatively smooth experience, all things considered. It kind of... It squashes all the cards down, so they're just sort of square versions of themselves. Um, which, to be honest, if I'm going to play it, that might be the version I end up having a more of a go on, just because I don't need to find another person. I can do it on train. Uh, it just sort of is a bit easier. Yeah, day one was a little bit, I would say, unsuccessful in terms of of demos. Like we got quite a few in. Um, yeah. But yeah, they were not. Some of them were not great. <laughs> yeah, we played some bad. <laughs> well, games. the the, the demo, you know, the demos are very nice. Like everyone, everyone, lots of people that uh, do the demos that you can get Expo are, are volunteers. Um, and I, I did oh, it yeah, last year. Oh yeah, they're all absolutely lovely and as yeah, well. The people we played people. with were really nice, and it was just the games were kind of like we were like you know, we signed up for an hour demo, and it's like <laughs> someone, the other person seems to be having an all right time. We can't just bail after the first fifteen minutes because I'm not. <laughs> I don't think it's very good, but um, 
Yeah, You've got so a very like, limited amount of time for the day. It's so, hard. Yeah, yeah the mm. first so the first game we tried was a game called Museums. Uh, and this yes. is like day one, bright and early. We're ready to try out some games, and we sit down and we try Museums, which is a card game where you're sort of trying to collect sets of cards, basically. Uh, and the theme is that you are museum curators. And you're, you're putting on exhibitions by collecting artifacts from around the world uh, to put into your museum uh, and the different sets, like different sort of exhibitions, whether it's uh, a set of artifacts from the same civilization or it's a themed exhibition where it's artifacts that are mathematical or naval or pottery. <laughs> <laughs> yep, those are the types of artifacts. The, the three, the three categories of <laughs> historical artifacts. Yeah, I think yeah. that's all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, covers everything. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, like we start, we see, we had this sort of like forty-minute demo, and it seemed really. I enjoyed it. Interesting. I it like it was, a, yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a, it was. We sort of, we sort of had to leave the demo, but we were both like, oh, I'd quite like to continue. It's a shame. I wanted to continue playing to kind of like play out the game. Yeah, uh, which is usually a good sign. Uh, and ba- and yeah, the the production of museums is is lovely. Like it has just so much effort has gone into the art. You've got hundreds of cards. Each card is a is it you know is about a historical artifact that has is been lovingly illustrated. A little bit of information about the the artifact, uh, and there's there's tons of them. But uh, so yeah, we've got we've got a review copy of it. So we. Um, pick one up and then I was sort of carrying it around for the rest of the day. Yeah. It's um, a big box. <laughs> yeah, no, it is a big box. And we sort of sat down to have a have a proper sort of playthrough of it in the evening. And just so we, the game got going and we were just like, this is where where's all the excitement that we had? Yeah, it was a completely <laughs> like one eighty. It was like the complete opposite experience of being like, this is interesting, I might play this again to I don't think I ever want to play this game again. <laughs> so yeah. how did it transform it like that? What was the? <laughs> well, so like so the so the the core of the game is you're on your turn. You basically pick a card from the sort of card market, and you and it sort of has five different areas for different regions of the world. Okay. Um, I guess are different like markets around the world, and you you pick a card and you add it to your hand, and every card has like a a, a value. And basically, you have to discard cards uh, to equal to the value of cards you want to put into your museum. So basically, you're, you're archiving some cards to put other cards into your museum. You, so you can either put cards into your museum where they add to your collections, uh, or you can like inventory where basically you get back all the cards that you've discarded back into your hand. Uh, and you can add cards that, from your own hand to your museum, and you can also buy the cards from other people's discard piles okay which in the demo this it felt quite exciting it was like so i was sort of watching the demo i was watching nevi's discard pile for cards that would be useful for my museum uh and and like when someone buys a card out of a discard pile in the demo at least it felt like it was like you've like you've like messed up like i need i needed that card back later on to keep funding other items to go in or like oh i was hoping to use that later uh, yeah, and so there was like, oh, like you've you've poached a card. Um, but when we start to play the full game, very quickly the kind of our like, the economy of our hand kind of just started to run out. So we sort of ended up with no like with like 
cards either all in our museums we had nothing to spend basically our economy is just dried up so that on our turn we draw a card and kind of be left with nothing else to do and mm-hmm. you only get to draw a single card per turn and there's it's, it's quite difficult to get more cards into your hand there was very little poaching of other people's cards uh, and there, were, there was just quite a lot of randomness like there were little events that happen like every round you reveal a headline it's like Oh, there's a there's a trade embargo uh, with South America, the whole of South America for some reason, uh, and so you can't buy any cards. You you can't take any cards from South America, uh, and just all these like little twiddly rules that we'd sort of been glossed over in the demo because okay. it was a demo and it's kind of been a bit smoothed over. And there were lots of these twiddly scoring rules that just didn't quite make sense or took a lot of pondering and flipping back and forth through the rulebook to try and figure out. And the game slowed down and then sort of got going and then momentum in the game just kind of choked to a halt because we couldn't really do much on each of our turns. The way that I found was worthwhile, it worked out at the end because I ended up winning, was like, I didn't really do any of the set collection stuff, really. I just pushed as quickly as I could to the end of the game in the hopes that everyone else would be too busy trying to work out complicated stuff. And it was it felt very unsatisfying to just be like... This is my museum. It's full of junk. <laughs> like <laughs> none of it matches. It's got no theme, but I win. <laughs> like so, if you if you're playing a game for the first time, right, and it's got like you're saying, kind of twiddly rules. Like, how do you tell the difference, say, between a good game that has a lot of twiddly rules that you need to figure out, and a game you're not interested in, like a bad one that has a lot of twiddle. What's the defining characteristic? I think part of the twiddly rules in Museum were a lot of like somebody does a thing and you can't stop that thing. Also, you didn't know that thing was going to happen. And there were quite a few of those of like the events. There were lots of like one-off cards that you kind of got every now and again that just kind of like, I've got loads of prestige now, which means I'm probably going to do really well for a few turns because they basically let me buy cards for free. And like a lot of those sort of like extra little bits were kind of like I I would not they were, the game was also better without them mm-hmm. in a way I, I yeah so I think it's about kind of maybe twiddly rules depending on like adding complexity and then just adding fluff I feel it's kind of the difference between those two yeah it's yeah. like it's like I guess it's like payoff because like there are games that I love where learning the rules was a little bit of a struggle because it like wasn't super clear the rulebook wasn't great. But it's, yeah. usually, it's usually, you can usually tell just because of the payoff. Like you sort of get to the end of the game and you go, "Oh, that was really good." Whereas sometimes you get rules that you're struggling with, and you kind of and the game just doesn't excite you to want to try and figure out the rules more. Yeah. Okay. Like a game I picked up at the UK Games Expo that I played the other weekend uh, called Imperial had like a translated rule book, uh, and so there were a couple of parts where the rules weren't super clear, and there's a bit of googling. Mm-hmm. But the game, like, but because the game itself was quite interesting and pulled you through it, when we got those rules right, it was like, oh, this is cool. I'm I'm enjoying what's happening. I guess it's just like sort of a video yeah. game with a steep learning curve. It's like if you push through it and it feels like you're being rewarded for that. Yeah, I well, not so much the game is rewarding like... for learning the rules. It's still it's still a pain, and the, the rules are fiddly. But yeah, it's like the difference between kind of like. Final Fantasy 13 and then like any other game in that series like learning about the the history and the lore is kind of part of 
it's part of the game that you need to do in order to get what's going on. Okay. But when the game makes it like, like it adds stuff that you like, is that what is going on? Like, what is this bit? You're like, and or you have to look up this very specific rule in this. That rule was really quite long for museums for a very simple card game. Mm, yeah, it was okay. like looking stuff up back in it and like. So what do we do if this happens? Like George got a. Um, you can recruit different people for your museum, and George got someone who was quite clearly overpowered. And we were looking through the manual to go like, is there a limitation to their power? They just make everything cost one less. So one cost museum items you just put straight in without having to pay for them. Yeah, that's everything. And George got that turn one. <laughs> yeah, like turn one, I got so you can you can hire experts yeah. to like help help out your collection, uh, and most of them have fairly like minor effects. Uh, and then there's this one that just seems. Hundred percent more powerful than everyone else because they just make the like they just make everything cheaper permanently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was museums. It was disappointing. So we've spent a while going over this game that you didn't really like. Yeah, That's I feel true. like we've, we've there, jaunted on that. There was another are there one. Any games you that did? We'll, we'll we'll jaunt <laughs> through. Oh yes, uh, that was also not great. Which was uh, Jonathan Strange and Mister Norell, a board game of English magic. I think is the full title. Okay. I'm remembering that. I just yeah. Based on the the book, uh, it's sort of set in 1800s, the Regency era Europe, uh, where magic exists, and you're sort of gentlemen musicians, not musicians, magicians. Uh, musicians. Yeah. Magic uh, exists, but you don't have anything to do with it. You play <laughs> music. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of you're mu- magicians that kind of travel around, and basically you're all trying to compete to be the the most preeminent musician. Yeah. Did I say musician again? <laughs> You said that you did, yes. <laughs> uh, you're trying to be the best magician. Um, you're traveling around Europe, attending kind of parties and meeting famous people. And kind of the game like tells you that you're doing all of these exciting things. Uh, to... It, it kind of just boils down to I put this card in this discard pile, and then I get this. It's like very transactional and like. You could easily swap that out for literally anything. It could be, I put this card here, and now I get two clamshells. <laughs> like, it could be anything. And yeah, it, like, you basically, you're, you're, mov- you're moving around a board to collect cards to fill out your, like, the orders that you've been given. So it's like, yeah. with the, they're, they're feats of magic, and it's like, this feat of magic needs three crow magic and a mountain magic. So you need to collect three crow magic cards and a mountain magic card, and then you, you can perform it. And, yeah. and like that's the game and there's so much theme on top of it but it just feels so superfluous so like exactly this turn i but- move two spaces and which on the board is moving from london to paris to milan and now i attend a grand ball but i'm just discarding a card that says i am uh, exactly. and then i meet lord byron and <laughs> that does something and I discard him for a wood. <laughs> I discard Lord Byron, and now I've got three more cards, and they're the wrong cards. I got a a wind magic and a fire magic and a crow oh, magic. Yeah. Got the wrong cards. That's my turn, and that was basically the whole game. It was very disappointing. Like there, there was no, there's no player interaction as far as we could tell. You just, okay. you're all just moving around the board separately. Yeah, that's kind and, of weird. It yeah, was very random, and there's very. Little you could really do to fix the randomness. It wasn't just random, it was random in the wrong parts of the game, almost. Like, you had very little option to plan ahead, so when you'd taken your turn, you basically just sat there for ten minutes while you waited for everyone else to take their turn so you knew what to deal with next round. Like, there was 
you had very little control over planning ahead in any way. So stuff just sort of happened. You were like, I guess I've done some magic because I had, I happened to have the ability to make this resource this turn. Yeah, it was not. Yeah, it uh, was disappointing. But an- another game I've been attracted to because it has lovely art, you know, big sort of tarot cards that you draw on every round. And that, yeah, like, it's tells set you. Set in history. Yeah, it's set in history. And it's a nice map of Europe. <laughs> and mm, people in yeah. kind of regency era clothes um yeah the, 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 it did look lovely and the tarot card deck was like a gorgeous component but it it was kind of a superfluous one at the same time like it yeah we sat down it, and for basically like, you looked at the two, at two icons at the bottom of it and you basically ignored the rest of the card which was uh very odd it yeah like a bit, we played good games i promise yeah um, never like because then in the afternoon of day one i went off and played a Wars rpg oh you did yes uh, which was fine, but amounted to like the five. It was me and a friend, and then three strangers. But basically, the GM was quite happy for us all to go off and just do our own thing, and didn't really incentivize working together. And so it just ended up with literally five different storylines taking place at once. This is very strange. <laughs> Until like I basically was like, okay, well, I'm try and drive my. Sp- like my storyline into the others to try and have some sort of resolution. Yeah. Mm. Um and it it was it was fun, but felt a little like we didn't really achieve much because just because everyone like the the it the GM was very happy to be like, it's a free world, you can do what you like. And kind of gave us each a different plot thread that literally took us off in like five yeah, five different directions. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but while I was doing that, maybe played some things. I did. I wandered around. I chatted to people. Um, some of which I'll cover in my in our um, roundup article because I did. Not, there's no point me repeating myself. Um, but the, one, the interesting thing I did play was uh, Letter Jam, which I got to play with Mike from Ready Steady Play and Michael from Ready Steady Play, which was very very confusing. Didn't know that they were both Mikes and Michaels. But the game itself was actually really interesting. So. It's a word game that is a. You have like a. Someone gives you a word, you shuffle them up, and you pick up one of the cards and you place it facing away from you so the rest of the table knows what that letter is. And everyone does this. So in a six player game, six people do that. They all have a letter facing away from them. And then you sort of bid to say, I can make a six letter word that uses uh, all six letters. And then, it's, and then if someone goes, yep, yeah, sure, then you put chips out to say which the order of. You say what the word. Put, put chips out to say what the um, what the word is. So you might see yours. Your you get the number one chip, and then A gets the number two chip, and then D gets the number three chip. Blah 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 blah. And you can kind of work out what your letter is based on the order in the word that it appears in. Um, but yeah, it's it was I enjoyed wait, so, it. It was really good fun. Wait, so then I so. If I was playing a hand, I I don't know what my the letters in the pile in front of me are, but I show one to the rest of the table, and then I can see five yes. other letters around the table. Yeah, and I make a bet then, to say I can make a word with. Yeah, so it's it's cooperative. You're all trying to spell as many words around the table as collectively possible, okay. and then you have a little bit of paper in front of you, and then you write down sort of the rest of the letters in the word, and then you can work out what your number one letter is, and if you know what it is, then you write it down on your sheet and put it back face down, then pick up the next one and pop that face up so that they, everyone else can see it. It goes in a little stand so that everyone else can see it apart from you. And there's a letter in the... 
There's like a star in the middle of the table that can be any letter, and then there's one other letter. There's like a letter stack that is a um, so it's almost it's like, like, like a free can... letter that anyone can use. So someone says I can make a four letter word, and then they say like bird, and you can't see a B anywhere around the table. You're like, okay, I must be holding B. Yeah, they don't say the they don't say the word itself. They just put the chips out to represent the uh, the order. So if you, you you might be spelling bird, but you'll just put out four chips, and you might be chip number one. You look at the remaining letters. You're like, right, okay, so that spells bird. Oh, right. So you're like, I can make a four. I, I can make I must a, be a B. Oh, so you like, so I can make a four letter word, and then I hand chips numbered one to four to four different people. Yeah, and then yeah, so yeah. you'd receive a chip, being like, okay, you are holding letter number two in this word, and then that person can see words number like letters number one, three, and four, and so they're like, yeah, oh, okay. Uh, and it's an interesting sort of play on it of like trying to make it so that you pick a word that kind of has very few in, like replaceable letters in it. Like, for example, if you spelt rock, you put out those chips and you're letter number one. You're like, so it spells ock. Is that rock? Is that sock? Is that something else? What? So you kind of try to limit those options maybe for people at the same time because you've only got a certain number of rounds to try and get as many words spelt as possible. Um, so so yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to figure out the word that you're holding. Also the figure out your own words because if you figure out your own word, then you kind of get like a bonus round, which lets you then put more letters in the middle of the table, which means that you've got more choice when spelling a word. So yeah, it it was good. I really really enjoyed it. It was um, yeah, it was good fun. I uh, realised that I cannot spell, and I'm not afraid to just sort of jump in and try and spell a word incorrectly. Like I tried to spell I saw, like I and then saw, which was not the uh, not how you spell I saw. So you, um, you, you you need to spell out how you tried to spell saw. Uh, S A W, like I saw, like like you saw something. <laughs> so yeah, not yeah, like but... how you spell I saw. <laughs> you <can't>, yeah, but <laughs> if you don't spell it out, we don't know how you tried to spell it. That's true. That's true. But imagine spelling it incorrectly. That's how yeah. I spelt it. <laughs> so I spelt it. I spelt it phonetically rather than uh, correctly. They both sound the same. They're both <laughs> saw and saw. Both Close there. enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's about S A W, which uh, yeah, which was which was good fun and uh, uh, makes it confusing for everyone else. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. I would say um, it's a really fun sort of cooperative little party game with words, which is uh, yeah. I might nice pick it, it up when it when it comes out. I don't recommend it. Uh, nice what else did I play when you weren't there, George? I think. So, oh, one month later was the other thing that I had a quick game of while you weren't there, which is like a zombie survival game, which is kind of player versus player versus environment with this lovely pixely art. Um, and you try to like make your little group of survivors live uh, as long as possible and gain and capture little like capture uh, like important places like the hospital or like the uh, military base, try and get like food and medicine and try and cure the virus or guns and stuff to try and like destroy the virus from the area so you can kind of survive and you can kill off the zombies or if you kind of see that there's a space to maybe dash over and take out the other person's base and kick them out of the game then you can do that as well which was it was interesting and the, the pics of the art was very cute uh yeah I, that was i had a very short sort of two-player game over about 15 minutes it was interesting. I was intrigued. And uh, it's one of those games that I probably might play again if I get the chance to. But I don't have anything more to say about it apart from those those bits. So, <laughs> there we are. 
that's pretty much it until the evening, I think. Yeah. So basically, yeah, after okay. the, the show closes at six on like six roughly every day. Yeah. Uh, although, and then it closes slightly earlier on the Sunday. <laughs> um, but they leave open like these big areas uh, in both the show hall and like a nearby hotel. They basically have these big halls that are just tables with sort of uh, they're just free to go and sit down at and play games, and it's just the like, open play areas. And so you just have these massive halls just absolutely packed with people playing board games. Um, and so we went and played some games in, in the evening. Uh, yes, and we had a demo. There's a we had a demo of Blood on the Clock Tower, which is a kind of deluxe social deduction game. Yeah, it's sort of in the realm of sort of mafia and werewolf and stuff, but with a little bit more complexity and uh, just a lot better, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, just like it's a sort of uh, yeah, it's a sort of hot hot game on the on the board game scene at the moment because it, it went through a Kickstarter earlier this like two months ago and <laughs> yeah there's a lot of sort of hype and discussion around it so we were quite interested to, uh, to actually play it for real uh, yeah. as so I, I, I'd end the, up backing the Kickstarters yeah so Gav the, the elevator pitch of it is that okay. there is a demon and then some bad players and then a bunch of good players everyone has their own unique power and the aim is for the bad players to kill off all the good players and for the good players to successfully, as a group, decide to off the uh, the demon. Okay, right. So that's the premise of How many players is it total? I think it goes uh, up to like like 16 or something. Ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, so we I think we, we played like a couple of nine-player games, I think. And basically yeah. every, you're, everyone's sat around in a circle uh, and then there's a storyteller who is the kind of games master who runs the game. And the game basically is goes between sort of discussion where everyone's discussing what they know. Then there'll be a kind of vote to execute someone and votes happen and maybe someone's executed. They don't have to be. Then everyone closes their eyes and people that have different powers will be woken up and be given information or do things to other people. And then everyone yeah. opens their eyes again for another, or another round of discussion. It's this sort of... Right. Rounds of discussion, maybe kill someone, maybe do then, a murder, maybe do a murder. Well, it's like so, yeah, it's like uh, until either only the demons are left alive, or I think the demons and one other villager are left alive, or okay. the, the the demon is dead. There are quite yeah. a few like games in this format. These there are like, video it is games. A, uh, so there's yeah, there's obviously quite a few that follow that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. kind of that, but like turned right up to eleven because yeah. of all the weird it's, player powers that everyone has. Yeah, like it's designed uh, and because to... the box itself comes with like we played one sheet of it, and there were there were several other types of uh, like different uh, different player powers that different demons and different different bad guys and, and things like that. And it, yeah, it was um, it was it was really quite fast as well. Like it. Sometimes in things like resistance, it's like who are we taking on the mission? I'm going to take you, and then it's like, what? Pick another person, to take on the mission. And there's a lot of like, it can be hard to uh, kind of get the game rolling, as it were. But there, in this, it was very much like, right, no, that's it. I'm calling a vote. <laughs> I think we should kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like I think the, the I think the thing that dresses 
addressed this really well within the kind of the genre is in games like Mafia and Werewolf, which are very incredibly similar. Um, it's only like it's, it's, really, it's subtle differences. Basically, when someone is killed, they are effectively then just out of the game and they just have to watch. And sometimes the games can last like an hour. So if you're the first person killed, bad luck, you're watching for an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, which sucks. yeah i guess so that's a downside <laughs> <laughs> hope you've got uh, a book and, and yeah and also like you can be p- playing the game but you're just like generic villager and so you don't really have anything to actively do other than just sort of listen to what other people are saying and make random accusations whereas in this <laughs> every single person gets like has something unique about them and it's like yeah, a power has, like, that a they gimmick. have um, and even when you're killed, you're still a ghost in the village. And as a ghost, you have like one last vote that you can add th- you can add in when people are voting on who to execute. So, yeah. and also some people's powers only trigger when they die as well, which adds in a whole extra thing of like maybe you want to get killed so you can do your cool <laughs> you thing. Want to get killed? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, so I think the first or the first game we played, Nevi's power, basically, if he was. I can't. Remember, you were. He was called the Raven Keeper. Yeah. When I died, I could see what role somebody was. Okay. Right. So yeah. Basically, if it, during the night the demon wakes up and kills someone, uh, and basically yeah. if Nevi is killed by the demon, Nevi finds out information. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Which is and so though, there's the thing. So Nevi needs to be killed, but he can't announce mm-hmm. that he's the Raven Keeper because otherwise the demon won't kill them because that's bad for the demon yeah the less information and more sort of misinformation the demon has the better they they do so yeah, yeah so you have to like in our first game though as well like there's interesting things like george was the drunk so he thought he was another ca- another player power but he got bad <laughs> information <laughs> yeah so right. th- somehow so in both the games we played i don't know how quite how it conspired but basically first round I needed to volunteer for execution. <laughs> oh. Like, just the way it worked out. Like, both games, which is like, hmm, well, I think to, pr- like, to prove my innocence and to, like, for, like, to develop some information, we need to kill me. Yeah. And so, so yeah. Did it, did it happen? Did, did both times you the got fir- killed the, the first, first round? round? We did kill George, oh. yes. Yeah, and it kind, and it kind of was unfortunate. useful. Unfortunate. <laughs> but that, was, but that, I think, but that was that was that was the cool thing was that, you know, I, like I sacrificed myself, but it was it was like a useful thing to do because it it helped with information, and I was still in the game because I still had a vote left, so that yeah. I could save it for the end of the game, so that when it comes down to someone makes an accusation that so and so is the demon, if I think that is the case, I can spend my votes. Wait, so you can vote when you're dead. Yeah, yeah, you, you have vote. one. You have one vote remaining, basically. That you can okay. S- so you you kind of save it up for the moment you think you're really sure that the accusation is is correct, basically. Okay. And so it means that if you're if you're alive and you're perhaps a demon, you can't count out the players that are dead because you still need them mm-hmm. on. Like you still need people on side, even if they're even if they've been killed, because obviously like yeah, they okay. have voting power. Yeah, they can sort of 
vote in an execution. But yeah, no, it was it was really good. I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, like there's so, just um, enough ways that information is both disseminated, so everyone gets a bit of information, but there's so much uncertainty that comes with each piece of information that you can't ever kind of solve it like a I don't know, like a Phoenix Wright puzzle. Like you yeah. can't just like <laughs> logically you can't be like, oh, okay, well, I know this, this and this, therefore this. Because every bit of information could be false. Like there are there are lots of reasons why things are unsure so you can never quite be sure about anything which sounds like it could be quite frustrating yeah but, but it's it's the opposite of that to be honest yeah. it, it it's in just that extra bit of like tension between kind of like i'm pretty sure that you're the bad guy but you might not be yeah like yeah. you, end up, you have to like, kind of trust your hunches basically and yeah because in something like resistance if you know for certain someone's a bad guy because you've much easier to know for certain if someone is like you just go right, okay. I'm just not going to listen to you for the rest of the game, and they can kind of like not really do anything to kind of squirm out of being seen as the villain. Mm. Whereas in this, it's kind of like, yeah, but you're you only think I'm the villain because you think what they're saying is correct. But they could be the drunk, or they could be poisoned. Therefore, they could be not getting correct information. And so. there's and yeah, there's less like hard lying that needs to be done because I think in, so in games like Werewolf and Resistance, you end up in situations where one person is like, I didn't fail the mission, you did you're the bad guy and they're like yeah no i didn't i didn't fail it you put the fail in you're the bad guy and it's just this yeah. literally back and forth of two people being like that's not true no you yeah no you yeah and like <laughs> <laughs> just two spider-men pointing back and forth but, <laughs> but in this like because all the information is uncertain there's far less just like direct confrontational like arguing over a lie so yeah. there were loads of points where it's like, I think you're bad, but I'm not certain because I might not, like the information I have might be incorrect. And so because everything was slightly softer, there were, there were far fewer like directly confrontational arguments. Everyone's just kind of like, but everyone's slightly uncertain. And so you have, there were, there, there were fewer just like out and out back and forth accusations which yeah, made okay. it a, a nicer game because we played we were playing yeah. with like complete strangers but very quickly you know the game was sort of lively and just a nice and like nice game to be playing which which is oh, which is good. impressive yeah no it was really, it was it very quickly caught you into sort of just sort of talking to these to people and stuff and like um, yeah, it was um it was good yeah, I, so if you ever get a chance to play it, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, what was it called is, again, sir? Uh, Blood on the Clock Tower. Okay, right. I'll, uh, I'll the premise is the, the the village wakes up and the the village storyteller, who is the the games master, uh, is found dead, impaled on on the clock tower of the village. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was the, the, the like I think there's one demo copy in the UK, uh, and the team like go around the UK running demos of it. Um, so I think that they have a Facebook group. So it's worth like if you think you think it sounds fun, it's worth worth finding them on Facebook and see if they're running a demo like nearby because yeah. they're they're like you know they're they're such an experienced team that they're like yeah they kind of guarantee they're lovely as well. So like yeah, and as well like if they're so lovely that if you kind of went, I've well, I've got like I know X number of people who would, who would be really interested in it. I'm sure that they'd be like, well, maybe we could add an extra date in or try and work something out. They're just like they're all really nice. All the people we met throughout through it as well. So yeah, it was really good. I think it's probably my game, quote unquote, game of the show. I think it was the 
was the game I had the most fun playing throughout. The yeah, film. I think of all the of all the new games that I demoed, I think it was it was the one that was just like just no like no flaws, just straight up. That was great fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and got into it really quickly as well. Like it didn't have a lot of like. A lot of rules to digest because often when you're on like the show floor and someone's like, "All right, okay, we're gonna learn this game. It's quite complicated." And you're like, "Oh dear, I've had like four hours sleep. Mm. <laughs> I yeah, don't know I don't if think... I'm prepared to take this into my head." <laughs> Whereas this is like, "Right, okay, this is what you are. This is what happens." I think because like go on. There's so because it, it obviously it shares so much DNA with other social deduction games, like at a board game convention, where most people have played a social deduction That's game true. a couple of yeah. times. It's yeah. very easy just with everyone just to pick it up quite quickly, like even though you're all strangers. Just because everyone, everyone has like, most people have a pretty reasonable familiarity with at least one type of social deduction game. True, mm-hmm. true. Uh, but yeah, that was day one. Day two. That was day one. We played more games. We did. Uh, this time we flipped back, didn't we? You played more games than me. But did, we started yeah. off with Imperial Settlers, Roll and Write, I think. Was that the first game we played? Yeah, so Roll and Roll... Uh, so for a long, t- a long time, I think, and a lot of people did, basically people were hearing about Roll and Write and were like, who is this hot new board game designer, Roll and Write? <laughs> but it is in fact Roll and Write, as in the action to roll dice... Yeah, right <laughs> and then the write something down. Is that true, or is that just a joke? That no, genuinely. So I kept hearing about it on like oh, really? the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, and they would just say the new Roland Wright game, and I'm like, who, who is Roland Wright? Like I've never heard I of him before. I just thought that was a joke. And, so, they were and, and suddenly, like, <laughs> you know, like, and suddenly there were like three, three of his games. Yeah, uh, but basically, okay. it's it's. Uh, this kind of genre of game where dice are rolled and then you kind of have to make use of the results. Usually you're like little like writing something on a piece of paper. And so it might be like you roll some dice and it there's a there's a train one, you roll some dice and it gives you little like bits of train line, and then you have to like fit those bits of train line into a grid. Kind of like a pipe yeah. game. Uh yeah. and in Imperial Settlers, you are ancient settlers. And you roll some dice, and it gives you some resources. And you basically you have a little sheet that is your little settlement, and like little upgrade tracks. And basically, each round you have to decide how to spend your resources in the different areas of your little sheet of paper. And as you spend resources, yeah. you can but like you can put some resources aside into little upgrades that mean when you roll an apple, the apple count like produces two apples. Mm. And like the further you progress up different uh, sort of upgrade tracks, the more points you score. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was pleasant. I wasn't thrilled by it, but it was an, it was a sort of pleasant half an hour. Yeah, it was it was fine. Like I think there was a bit the um, sort of you kind of as well as doing doing those, you're kind of putting in sort of tetrominoes or like Tetris pieces into a. Uh, into a grid and they kind of gain you bonus upgrades or like bonus points at the end of the game, which was kind of interesting as well. It it it's kind of sits squarely in like it's a pretty standard roll and write. There's not it's not exactly breaking the mold in any way, but it fits in as like a 
a nice sort of like 15, 20 minutes of just sort of rolling some dice, making your own little village. Yeah, so it, it it's basically lots of people playing a little solitary puzzle to see who can play the puzzle yeah. the best. There's, like a, there's a very mild interaction in the Imperial Settlers one where you have uh, three, was it four or five, like uh, power tiles that then um, give you like a one-off power or like a bonus or something for that round, which add a little bit of like, oh, you picked the one I wanted. Yeah, uh, I, I mean... Kind of not really, so... Yeah, like, of, I think that there was minimal power interaction, but yeah, it was, it was nice, it was relaxing, I think. Yeah. Like, I finished it and was like, oh, there are maybe some things I could have done better. That I'd, I'd yeah, which time. is which is nice. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was fine. I can see, I imagine playing it on like a wet afternoon in a pub. It's one of those sort of games. Yeah, yeah like, I think, cause, so that was the first ro- roll and write that I've played. So I don't really know how it compares to other ones. But my impression, yeah. like from hearing about all of them, my impression is they're just like nice little, little comfy little, little appetizers. Just like a... yeah. I've played a few now. They're all pretty much like that. Like a like a, a spoon of of sorbet, but not like a. I wouldn't say they're like a lemon sorbet. They're not that exciting, but no, like a. I don't know. What's a, I don't what's know a, where you're going with that? Well, like I feel like, <laughs> but you know, like I said, like just a little, 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 just nice little palate cleanser for before you play something else. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. Um... Right, I think that's probably the only that's the only major game I played actually that uh, day, wasn't it? Yeah, so that looks, so all then, of your day two, more or less, because I I went to Star Arms tournament pretty much ah, not long okay. after that. Never, so and then I the rejoined in the evening. Yeah, went off some competitive card gaming. I did, I did some very friendly competitive card gaming Exiled with lots of. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have round. to hit you for twenty, like <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> like I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to blow up your base, like. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you for reminding me that that should be dead, <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> they were all very uh, lovely. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, I played. I played a couple more games too. I, so I played on the underground, which yes, was which I want to hear about because you've not told me about. Yeah. It yet, so yeah. I, I, I liked on the underground. It was a, it was a real little like brain burner that kind of I want to play it again. So. Mm. You have a map of London. It's a it's a it's a it's a new edition of like a sort of a game that came out in the two thousand in sort of two thousands basically, and it's yeah. a sort of updated version um, of a game I hadn't really heard of before. And basically, you're constructing um, tube lines across London. Yeah, and each like depending depending on how many players there are, you each get a certain number of coloured lines. And so I was playing a two player game, and so we each had four colours of line we could build. Uh, whenever you build a line, you have to add to either the start or the end of that colour. So you can't. So I've, so my pink line, every new section of line has to go to the start or the end of the pink, like to either end of the the pink snake. I can't just randomly start new bits of it. So as you as you start to build the line, you go okay, well. You have to, you have to, like, all the lines are on the board, and you basically have to extend lines to where they, like, need to get to. Uh, and the aim of the game is to, you score a point basically every time you, uh, a passenger uses your line. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so there is one passenger on the board. Uh, <laughs> basically, it's just this one person that's constantly moving around <laughs> London, and you score a point every time they use your line. 
A public service run specifically for the benefit of one person. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So you you draw cards that are like destination cards, and there's a and there's a, a system for. Basically, they move either pa- on at the end of your you place some lines, and then the passenger will make two moves. Um, and there's a sort of system for how the passenger moves on the board. Basically, they want to do as little walking as possible, so they'll take the shortest walk to a tube line, and then take the fewest connections to where they need to to like the closest place they can get to. And and like there are always four locations, and basically they'll be moving through a tube line. And yeah, like it starts off, and you're sort of placing tube lines, going, "Ooh, this is this is this is a bit." Basically, if you've like if you've taken the tube in London, it's basically like take, constantly taking multiple complex tube journeys, and right. just looking at the tube okay. map and trying to plot out the shortest route. Early on, it's a little bit difficult to tell which is the shortest location because you've got to go. Oh well, they'd move, they walk eight spaces, hop one tube line. Is that shorter than? that route they could take but very quickly all the tube lines start to interconnect and you have this sort of like you have a like this line of networks and it becomes this really interesting like thinky game of oh if i extend that line two squares then i think that makes that line shorter than my opponent's line well it makes it the shorter journey so they will need to do one less change yeah because you explained to me kind of like it's like mini metro where there's only one passenger yeah, if you've played Mini Metro, it's a bit like that with one passenger who's constantly moving around. Right. But some, but someone is playing another com- a competitive game of Mini Metro, like on the same map. It has a kind of real like a nice sort of cerebral puzzle to it, and is satisfying just just to see your network build across the map. And so when you don't even have to do anything on your turn because your network is established, and it's like, oh, the passenger's there. And my line is already the shortest route to that place that they want to get to. And then they'll still take my line to get over there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, it's a, it's that satisfaction of building a network out across the map and having it all work. It looks very simple, just because it's, it's just coloured lines on a map. I'm describing this terribly, but it is nice. <laughs> I like. <laughs> yeah, there's a, I imagine there is, like, a satisfaction to it. And what was that called again? Uh, on the Underground. Okay. Uh, we'll try to remember to put all these in the uh, description so that people can find them. Because I'm sure I've forgotten to say some of the names a couple of times. So, like, clearly, uh, anyway. So, also we'll try to put more in this. Yeah, the then I played. It's not a great name, but it's called Donning the Purple. Donning the Purple. Yeah. Uh, this is the one where you try and kill off yeah. the Emperor, isn't it? Yeah, so yet another historical game where. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of Roman games, actually, that ended up. This year. Yeah, you left the expo with like four different Roman games that she had. Yeah, so I've got a review copy of this one, and basically it's a three-player King of the Hill Euro game, and one player is is the Roman Emperor, and the other two players are rival families that want to be the Emperor, and the people that aren't the Emperor are trying to kill the Emperor so that one of them can take over. And as the emperor, you are trying to stabilize a Roman Empire beset with problems and basically make as much profit out of it as you can. Because yeah. to score victory points, you have to be the emperor. And at the end of a, a year, might not be a year, like at the end of a round, uh, depending on how well the empire is doing, you score a certain number of victory points. Mm-hmm. And so as the rivals, you're trying to mess up the empire so that the emperor scores fewer points while also trying to assassinate him. And as the emperor, you're trying to avoid assassination, not tire yourself out, and deal with the emperor, the empire's problems. Whether that's not enough food, 
if there's not enough food, you might need to start spending your own personal money to buy in grain stores to feed the empire, deal with barbarians that are invading that yeah. cause issue, and not and not die. Because basically, every action that you take as the emperor costs you uh, like an action token from your little pool of action tokens. And if you ever run out of action tokens, you die. You exhaust yourself. Okay. And you collapse. <laughs> as a as a rival, you're trying to screw over the empire so that the person doesn't score too many points. However, the moment you take over, all those problems that you've created <laughs> your problems. are now your problems. <laughs> the theme of the game felt really great. And it was just like, I love what is happening. Like I can totally like so I had a, I, I had my first I was the Emperor for the first round, managed to do pretty well, fought like fought off a whole load of barbarians, so basically just you just kind of move around the empire, knocking them out. That gave me loads of money, which I was able to spend to make sure I had enough grain for the empire and score a decent amount of points. But in doing that, I was like, ah, oh, okay, well, I'm kind of, I'm, I've used up over half of my like action tokens. So then the following round, I was like, right, I, I'm probably going to, you know, die soon. So I think now I need to make as much like money as possible from being the emperor before I like kick the bucket. <laughs> so it's <laughs> time to just like exhausted. screw the empire, squeeze out as much profit from it as possible so that when I become a rival, I'm really rich. And so that whoever takes over from me inherits a shit like a load of problems. Mm-hmm. And we oh, that played, is like, pretty interesting. And so, yeah, we played like two rounds. And so that dynamic of it felt perfect for yeah. that kind of I think, corrupt Roman Empire. Because like historically, I think it's sounds interesting because like the distinction at that period in in rome between you know public and private wasn't really there like you're saying having to spend personal money on it because the idea of because to begin with the emperor was basically just like the most powerful person basically you know often that was you know they became the emperor because they were either really good at scheming or just really rich or you know eventually because they uh, you know got adopted into a dynasty or or whatever but it's <laughs> i'm gonna say we don't have that anymore people get there by scheming and having a lot of money i'm so glad we're past that <laughs> yeah i know that i'm glad that that's gone i'm glad that democracy has fixed all of our issues oh yeah after two rounds i was really enjoying it wanted to continue but I think, on reflection, I want to give it a proper playthrough, because I am slightly worried it's going to end up being like Museum, because the actual mechanics of the game were yeah. a, little bit, a little bit dry. The actual decisions of, like, ooh, what should I try and do, were never that tough. Yeah. I'd be intrigued to know what you think after you've played it again. Cause yeah, so, like, I'm, wor- I'm worried... It so I, intriguing. Yeah, the theme was very cool, and I want it to be good, because it, it, it seems so unique. Whether the actual, yeah. like, whether it, it's a game that holds up to like repeat plays kind of once that novelty is worn off but yeah. we've, we've got a review copy so i'm going to be giving it a, a proper shakedown yes at some point uh, so was that your well, day two adventures i think that's uh, pretty much I played, it yeah. yeah i played one the one last game i played was a game called smash city which ah, yes. is like a sort of dexterity game played with giant foam dice uh, and it's basically a, it's like a kaiju game so you you are a giant kaiju monster uh i was a kind of lobster man cyborg called the colobster okay strong start uh, for this game strong start <laughs> uh and basically you have a you have the you have this kind of big board and then loads of kind of stand up cardboard buildings and you have a kind of city <laughs> full of those and basically on your turn you throw your dice into this city of cardboard buildings mm. trying to knock them over and score 
points, effectively. You have a sort of chunky foam dice that has different sides, and the side that it ends up landing on activates a different special power that you have. Okay. So you sort of chuck your dice into the city, try and knock buildings over, score points. However, if your dice bounces out of the city, it doesn't count. So you have to... It's surprisingly difficult. So I, I didn't want to, like, full-on, like, overarm pelt it in the, in the middle of this sort of busy convention hall. Turns out it's harder than it looks to knock over these buildings. <laughs> and the times I did sort of add some more power and end up just bouncing out the other side. And it was good fun. And basically, once your dice is in the city, other people can throw their dice at your dice to do damage to you. And so you can try, you're trying to, like, bounce it off buildings and hit other people to damage them so that basically one, when someone dies, the game ends. It's a kid's game designed for, for young children and families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, There's some great photos on Instagram of uh, you and Hugo playing it. And Hugo's, like, crouched over the board like some sort of, like, monster <laughs> himself. It's yeah, such trying, a like, funny photo. Preparing for, like, the perfect throw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was a fun, fun twenty minutes. I managed to win as as the lobster. Like it's a game I I a hundred percent am certain will be responsible for like some overly eager father pelting of foam dice at the city, completely missing and just smashing their child in the face. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that gif. Yeah, I advocate for this game. <laughs> yeah, that's what, do we play anything in the evening of day? I can't remember what Saturday. What did we do Saturday? We went we went back to our hotel and we played Raid on Takao. We did, yes, yes. I know we won't spoil that because I've written, we've written something up for that that'll go on the site soon. Okay, uh, yeah, no spoilers. And then the final day, your exhausted sort of, third day, uh, the exhausted yes. third day of kind of just wanting to sit down all, all the time. Did you <laughs> yeah. on on the third day? Does this mean that you have a bias towards demos with seating? So like basically, all the demos. Not, on, not even on the third day, there, Gab. That's on the first day. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, like, no. to, I mean, like, all all the demos have seats, so so luckily, it, okay. it, we can't believe we can't be that easily influenced. <laughs> for, for, for next year's reference, the, the demos that have teas and coffees and biscuits, those are the ones that get biased. So if anybody's listening and they're they're prepping for next year's uh, stall, <laughs> teas, coffees, biscuits. Give you that that, that press bias. If you, that, if you offer you if you good. offer this to Nevi, he will give you not a review. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can take that to the bank. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the final day was just kind of trying to snap up uh, any like deals on board games that we were looking to buy uh, and getting them the last yes. couple of demos. What were um, the last couple of demos then? We played another social deduction game called The Menace Among Us, which. Yeah. Is interesting, and I'd like to give another go. <laughs> that's a tone of voice there. Yeah, yeah that's basically the, like that's kind of yeah. I would say that is rare for I think because like there's something about the the like the convention state of mind that I like. It's so it feels really hard to be like blown away by a game. I mean, maybe maybe you haven't found the right game, but there's definitely a sort of that was kind of our theme for the weekend. Was like yeah. it was sort of interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, The Menace Among Us is a social deduction game where you are each a crew member on a failing spaceship and one of you is yes. a traitor. Yeah. Uh, everyone two, has... Yeah, or two. Everyone has a unique role. You get you basically get given a uh, a choice of characters at the start of the game. I think there were like 18 different characters. There were a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. So that, which seems to be the game's kind of USP. Like, there are a ton of different characters that you can choose from. Yeah. Uh, and the rough the rough idea of the game is that 
each round, everyone takes an action, uh, and that is either their unique character action or they submit a card face down to like the. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but like the mission pool. And basically, those are cards for under the deck actions of going below deck to try and fix the ship. Okay. And cards that you submit there are either good so that they fix the ship and try and turn the power back on, or they might be bad and so they deplete the oxygen or damage the ship. Right. And yes, yeah, so the bad people are trying to deplete the oxygen before the crew can turn the power back on. So there's a certain amount of like subterfuge, so uh, at the end of the round all the cards in the mission pile are shuffled up and then revealed one by one and resolved. And so if there's a bad one in there, it's like, <gasps> there's a traitor among us. Or a menace among us. A menace among <laughs> us. And yeah, it was kind of interesting. Like everyone, so everyone had a different like, had a different character and who could do different things, which you could kind of use to bluff, which I thought was interesting. So if you're the, if you're the bad person you might have an you might be the medic and so you might have an ability that allows you to heal any character at the cost of like decreasing the ship's oxygen yeah so you could use that to be like oh no i'm trying to help the team i uh, you know like two wounds and you're you're dead and you're out of the game so you know i think it's really important that we keep everyone alive yeah so you can like sneak i, I think it's worth it that we spend this amount of oxygen to to heal you or like uh, george's character who was like Oh, I can deflect a wound onto somebody else. So yeah, so well, I was, was, I was like, two wounds came up in a round. George, like, I'm gonna kill that guy. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was, I was a guardian robot who could either like, I could either keep myself alive or, as my action, I could say, if anyone is gonna get wounded this round, I can redirect the wound. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. And basically, like, it ended up being revealed who everyone was fairly quickly. So mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, I knew. So I, it was me and another traitor with uh, five of us, I think. Yeah, there were five of us. Yeah. Fairly yeah. quickly, it became obvious who my co-conspirator was. Yeah. And there was some suspicion on me. And then basically, they were tried to kill. So you can either vote to like exile someone, where they get locked in between the outer and inner hull. And so they can still affect the ship, but they lose their character ability. Okay, uh, right. Or you can just try and wound people until they die. Yeah. Okay. I ended up revealing myself by deflecting bullets away from my co-conspirator to try and kill someone else. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, which made it very obvious. And then the game became fairly, <laughs> like, fairly me- mechanical from that point in terms of trying to sabotage the ship just by like playing bad cards. Yeah, so- I think it was... I think it suffered from having two menaces. I think if there was only one, there might be a bit more. I'd like to try other there. other characters because it was like, yeah, we sort of, yeah, bluffing ended up failing, and so it was literally just a case of play bad cards in the hope that you can play more bad cards than the good team can play good cards. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a there's a mechanic which I thought was quite interesting, where each round, if everyone just doesn't play cards into the mission and instead chooses to take their own personal action. Um, like the ship's assistant adds cards at random for a pile to yeah. fit, make sure that there's always a minimum certain number of mission cards in the mission pile. So that if yeah. only one person plays a card in, the ship's computer will add two more random cards in there so that you mm-hmm. still can't be certain which one they played was. Okay, right. And basically it came down to... I think Nevi was the only person left alive yeah, and could only play one card in and basically had to play and just had to hope that the ship's computer didn't sabotage the ship because the ship's computer is malfunctioning yeah. and so has a deck that is mostly good cards but also contains some bad cards. Oh, right, yeah. okay. 
And it basically just came down to Nevi dealing in good cards, running out of cards, yeah. and the ship's computer, and like not being able to draw more cards back fast enough before the ship's computer just like so, broke the ship. Okay, so Nevi was the last person alive. Yeah, everyone else. So is what's dead. the what's the end game? How does the game end? Uh, uh, it ends when you power the ship, and then and either the ship yeah, is yeah. either the ship regains power or the oxygen okay. runs out. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, or the oxygen it runs out. That's it. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. I don't know. It's hard. I'd like to play it again because, like, it yeah, it was so, fine, but it was like I was not. I wasn't exactly blown away by it. I was yeah, kind like, of like all the kind of it, it's like sort of teased a lot of interesting little mechanical things. Like I thought the ship's computer was an interesting mechanic for obscuring who had done what. I thought yeah. it, it was cool that everyone had their own unique character, uh, but just the way we ended up, it just basically the game kind of ended up just playing itself. Yeah, it was a bit tricky, like especially towards the end when there were only like, a couple of people alive. It's like, well, I guess I do this because I've got nothing else that I can do. As soon as we knew who the menaces were, the choices were kind of like, well, we get rid of them and then we try and fix the ship. That kind of... Like, it was our first game. games, games yeah. it's, it's kind of a bit more obscured, so... So I don't know if we played it like badly. Whether we should have tried to, we could have been more subtle. But it, I'd like to try again just just to see more of the the dynamic. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's from it's from a company called Smirk and Dagger who do games specifically about betrayal and. We also tried a party game from the same company. There's Smirk and Dagger, but there's also Smirk and Laughter, which is the like based their other their other brand, which is fun games. Yeah, when I say fun. I mean like party games, party games, or like games designed to be friendly rather than backstabby. Yeah, uh, and this was called We Need to Talk, and basically a sort of party game about hosting uh, interventions. And so one person draws okay. a card, shows it to everyone else. And then everyone gives them a clue because the idea is that you've shown up to an intervention, but no one is. But you don't know what they're intervening about, and so everyone okay, is kind right. of giving you hints as to what they're. So they want you to understand why they're intervening, but other players score points based on being able to give you hints without actually having you guess it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay, I understand. So. So like. So it might be, for instance, we're having an intervention because Nevi just owns too many balloons. <laughs> and so it might be like... I don't know what you mean. It's not a problem. I can stop any time I want. I just and like it's like, there. yeah, it's like three rounds Smell. of clues and each one has like a different theme. So like the first round, you have to give a clue that is, uh, this makes me feel like. And the second round is, this... Uh, it's kind of like they're all each is a sort of you have to they guide the you towards what you're supposed to be asking. Yeah, like so, in the sort of yeah. format of an intervention statement. Yeah, they were. Re- I found them really hard. I found yeah, them really it, struggled like, mm-hmm. to fit within their constraints and actually think of something that was different from something someone else had said, but also kind of useful but not like completely useless. So because if 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 you don't get it, then we don't get any points. But I also don't want you to get it immediately because I want you to. I want to get at least some points. So I, I found it interesting, but I found it surprisingly difficult. Yeah, it's weird because you're giving a clue that is trying to lead them away from it, but also not completely misguide them. Because if at the end of yeah. three rounds they don't get it at all, everyone loses all their points. Oh, okay, yeah. right. So but, you want to basically give them vague clues yes. that eventually lead them to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Like, it, it was kind of funny, but... It was kind of funny. It was, yeah, but it was... It, 
It was funny, but unremarkable. It's kind yeah. of how I describe it. It was funny because it's a funny situation with people, and you're joking about the fact that George talks to his food when he eats really like they're alive. Yeah, I think like, my, that's yeah, the I was, reason it's, it's funny. Food. Yeah, I don't know if I'd necessarily play this again, but it was it was fine. <laughs> okay, it was fine. There, there's a box quote. Yes, uh, there we are. That's what they pay me for. The the, 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 the big box quote. It, it was it was fine. <laughs> It was fine, maybe from bits and pieces. <laughs> what else did we play? Day three. Another like we played another Roman game, which was oh, Gl- Gladiators yes. Blood for Roses, which was just disappointing. If it was a two player game that it would work a lot better. I feel like there could be an interesting semi bluffing combat game in there. But what they have at the moment is kind of None of that. It's kind of not even really a game. I wouldn't have said it doesn't really. I don't really feel actively like I was doing anything. Yeah. So like uh, the but- the game is each of you as a gladiator in the arena. You have a deck of cards, and on your turn you pick someone to fight. All your cards are something. Uh, they're either like finisher move cards, defensive cards, or attack cards. And when you attack someone, you go, right, I play the stab card. And on the stab card, it says, does two damage unless they can play a block or a dodge card. And then the person you're attacking has to play one of those two cards or suffer the effect. And then they play a block card. And the block card says, the attacker may, sorry, like the person that played this card may now play an attack card unless you have a riposte or a sidestep card and then it goes back to me and I'm like uh, oh I've got a sidestep card and now it goes mm. back to the other person and it's like suffer this effect unless you can play this card and it basically it just keeps going yeah. back and forth playing cards until one person can't match what's been played. So you take damage, you don't take damage and then it passes yeah. to the next person and then it passes to the next person and you, you're not really you're not getting new cards into your deck so as the fight goes on you have fewer and fewer cards in your hand. Yeah there are very few that let you draw an extra card. And, and so basically it just encourages you to beat up on the weakest person because the fewer cards they have, the less likely they are to be able to respond. And if, yeah. you, if you kill them, you, you get some glory points. Yeah, if you get the last hit on them, then uh, yeah, it's, you get the last, a lot, all the glory, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, it just didn't feel great at all. It was just like, well, I don't really feel like I'm making any decisions. It's just sort of so arbitrary what I'm doing. As it stands at the moment, it's there's nothing really there at all. I don't get. Well, because like even even because basically every every turn is basically two players. You and one other person playing cards back and forth, while two other people just kind of watch. <laughs> it was not enjoyable. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> ooh, historical. Uh, you know, a game about Romans and gladiators. Let's try that out. And yeah, it was not great. Unlucky. That was pretty much it. Yeah. And then there was the uh, the good the, the fun game of uh, the public transport on the way home. Oh yeah. Of uh, try squeeze trying to, onto a train. Trying to carry then... yeah, like an uh, like an IKEA. You know the blue IKEA bags that look like rubble sacks. Yeah, yeah. Trying to carry one of those. There was sort of half full of review copies, half full of games that I bought on the train and back home. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge. Getting to well, and it's... from UKG is the real board mm-hmm. game. Yes, it is. It is. It's, it's, it's a puzzle in it of itself. Yeah, I brought um, board games with me for some completely misguided reason. 
You did, but I did take one of them off you. So yeah. it's, a, it's a board game <laughs> convention. Don't you need to show a board game to get in? You know, you get well, kicked out like, if you don't have it, one. I was like, well, maybe I'll, I'll bring some games that I've been wanting to play for a while, and then we'll have some opportunity to play them on on you know in the evening. But yeah, we had so little time; it was crazy. But it was like, oh wait, no, I've picked up games here. I'll just play these. Yeah, and um, but yeah, no, I've got the network sitting downstairs on my stack of to play games. So we'll actually get to play it at some point, I'm sure. What games did you actually buy, George? Uh, I bought uh, I bought uh, a game called Imperial, where you are wealthy industrialists ah, yes. investing in uh, nations just before the Great War, and basically you invest in a nation, and that gives you control of its government, and then you get to control what the nation does. Uh, and you're trying to improve that nation so that your stocks in that nation increase in value so that whoever yes. has the most money at the end of the game wins. And I bought... Oh, you got Condottier. I remember that, actually. Condottier, which is... Which you played. Which, which is, is basically... The best. Yeah, which is probably the best game I played at the Games Expo. <laughs> the game for about 15 years it's, ago. <laughs> it's basically the game that inspired Gwent. Okay. Yes. But I would say simpler and for more players. So you can have, like, up to six playing, I think, at the same time. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, it was good. It was good fun. Yeah, I got that, Imperial, and Champion of the Wild, my girlfriend and her family, which they've had oh, a game nice. of and said they really enjoyed. And that is sort of a, a party game in which you have a team of animals and you put them into different sort of sporting challenges like jousting or robbing a <laughs> bank or... Oh, the, the classic challenge. Water polo. <laughs> and then you kind of, everyone, oh, yeah. and so everyone enters an animal into the event, and then everyone has a sort of debate about which animal would win. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. I, I backed it on Kickstarter. It's the first game I've ever backed on Kickstarter. First thing I've ever backed on Kickstarter, actually. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to when it arrives sometime, whenever those things happen. Uh, but, yeah, no, it, it looked just like good fun. Yeah. So. And I got. Axis and Allies and Zombies, which is a <laughs> World War Two strategy game dice roller that usually simulates World War Two, but in this case, it simulates World War Two if also there were zombies just kind of <laughs> causing problems, <laughs> inconvenience. So it's like, yeah, Axis and Allies is usually like a very long war game, but this apparently condenses it into about two hours. Uh, and every time, like, you have a battle, the casualties of that battle might come back as zombies. And so you end up with, like, neutral zones just full of zombies. Is that everything? The damage? Right. Is that all the damage? Um, but yeah, I think that's about it for your games expo. That sounds yeah. like everything. Yeah, like a weekend it's of... Like, yeah, a lot of demos where we're like, yeah. But it's just a, lo- it's just a lovely place to be. Just It is, yes. See mm. people that, that and stuff and just sort of hang out. And... That first night that we played... Blood on the Clock Tower was like that was so yeah. much fun. Then for like the rest of the expo, I kept seeing those same people that we'd played yes. the game with, and yeah. like we'd be walking past and like wave at each other because we'd, you know, they'd been the demon or that's the person that executed me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember. Ah, good times. The person who executed me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that about wraps it up. I think so. Mm. We're gonna say goodbye. Uh, I will remember to put all the things we mentioned in the podcast notes. Yeah. Or if I don't, someone will remind me, I'm sure. Uh, thank you for listening to this uh, UK Games Expo 2019 special it's podcast. It's a girthy special. 
here. It was a girthy special. Uh, if you found us without the website attached, then you can head over to bitsandpieces.games or follow us on Twitter at bitsplusPieces or Instagram at thosebitsandpieces. I'm getting quite good at that now. Um, we will see you next time. Well, you'll hear us next time, whatever the ending is now. I've ruined it. <laughs> see you later. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye.